listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. To win championships, you've got to have a championship organization. Rexel, what a pass to Anders. A team follow. Toy branch fires, he converts. Rhymes again. Up shot. Oh, it's Pull up three in transition for Angela Harris. Jerome says not tonight, not in Houston. What's up and welcome to another episode of Pod Slam Pajama presented by Apollo Media. All Houston, all original. I am one of your hosts, Dayan Dunlap, color commentator for all home games of the UH women's basketball team. Been covering the men's and football programs, really the entire program since 2016. I do some play-by-play for Texan Live and Vibe around the Houston area. And I'm going to toss it to my second my co-host so he can introduce himself. For sure, Dayon, appreciate it. My name is Andy Yanez, and be sure to follow the official Apollo Media account at Apollo HOU, especially right now. They're in full gear covering the Houston Astros in the World Series against the Atlanta Braves. And then, of course, on the Rocket side of things, they started off their season just last week, so they're well underway into covering the Houston Rockets as well. And, of course, you can follow us here at Pod Jamma and at Apollo HOU covering University of Houston Athletics. We've been covering football since the season began, and you know, basketball season is literally right around the corner, just uh, under a few days here. This upcoming Saturday will be the scrimmage for the men's basketball team, the red and white scrimmage, um, really to get a first look of what this upcoming team will look like on the court. But we got great things going for Houston sports, so as always, be sure to follow at Apollo HOU. We'd greatly appreciate it. A lot of stuff going on with Houston sports, but the most notably, which we must start with, is the big football game that we got coming up. I feel like it's been a while since Houston has played a meaningful um, football game in the later part of the year. We have a, a big game against a ranked SMU team coming up. I mean, I, I'm really excited about this matchup. Not only is SMU undefeated, 7-0, they're – ranked inside the top 25 and they're coached by Sonny Dykes, a, a, a coach who has been rumored for the new Texas tech job, but you got to start with their offense. Their offense has been tremendous. They got the Oklahoma transfer Tanner Mordecai who was tied for the nation's lead and touchdown passes with 29. And I was, um, went to coach Hogerson's press conference and, I mean, so I guess let's start talking about the defense because he raved about the defense and the way they've they've been playing. And one of the things not only that I asked him about was how was the defense playing? What has he seen differently under new um, defensive coordinator Doug Belk? And he just mentioned that one thing he said that the team was actually happy when they, he elevated him to um, defensive coordinator. He said he can't elevate – I mean, yeah, to defensive coordinator. said he couldn't elevate him anymore without firing himself, but all jokingly. But just some of the numbers from the defense. I mean, they, they lead the nation in defense and getting the offense off the field on third downs. And I think that's going to be key. And getting pressure on um, Mordecai is going to be key because they have a very explosive offense. Two receivers on the outside, Robertson, their running backs – what is your outlook on that the matchup as far as SMU's offense and Houston's defense on Saturday? Yeah, for sure. Like you mentioned, first, let's start with what you said in terms of, hey, the University of Houston football team will finally be playing a meaningful game just literally uh, two days away from November. And uh, you couldn't ask for a bigger game, like you mentioned, 19th ranked SMU coming off uh honestly strong performances like you mentioned they're undefeated they've beaten the likes of Tulane they really crushed Tulane similar to to kind of how UH did um they've beaten Texas Christian so they've beaten some good opponents some good brand names and now they come into TDCU Stadium like you mentioned with a red hot quarterback that honestly has you can't ask to for him to have played any better um, he made what an impressive debut for, for SMU. He started off with seven touchdowns right off the bat against Abilene Christian, no picks. 
And he just carried on that momentum. He's thrown, like you mentioned, 29 touchdowns for the entire season. He comes in to honestly put the real big test that this UH defense has faced since the first game of the season against Texas Tech, which it's kind of interesting how all these three programs have kind of been connected this season. Obviously, Houston and Texas Tech opened the season, and UH fell after building that early lead in that game and just really having second-half struggles. But even then, the defense kind of got put to the limit in that game where there was a lot of bending but not breaking. And then at the very end, they, they kind of let go of the rope in that fourth quarter. Now, like you mentioned, there's a lot of rumors swirling around the SMU head coach. Could he possibly be interested in a Texas Tech job? There's been a lot of comparisons with what uh, happened with Houston all those years right. back. Yep, yep. You know, with Tom Herman and the speculation, and was he going to take the LSU job? They were having a similar uh, kind of season where they had been dominant. And then once those rumors started swirling, it kind of derailed that season for UH. Um, so UH is going to be looking to be playing spoiler of SMU's perfect season, of course. But even just that, like you mentioned, the stakes, what's at stake for this game, the winner between Houston and SMU will be in good position to make it to the American Athletic Championship game. Now, obviously, there's still, like you mentioned, a month almost of the season left. So regardless of who wins, they won't necessarily secure their spot in the American Athletic Championship game, but it'll certainly make a lot more easier, especially if Houston can pull off the win because SMU still has to play Cincinnati. So that's going to be a tough game no matter what. So if Houston can get that edge, and especially with the American Athletic Conference schedule that they've had that we've discussed since, you know, early in the summer, that really this is their biggest challenge. Memphis has kind of fallen off. They weren't as big of a challenge as they looked on paper. I mean, the remaining games following this SMU game is South Florida Temple, Memphis and UConn, so UH in great position and they can pull off the win. And like you mentioned, this is the first time that Houston has a big game, certainly under Dana Holgerson in a while, since the 2018 season that Houston has had something to play for this late in the season. Yeah, it's been a while. And this rivalry is a big game. Coach Holgerson said not only is it Houston-Dallas, but this is one of the big rivalries that he said is, is still left in college football. He considers SMU in, as a rivalry. And Houston has won 10 of the last 14 matchups between the two programs. But it's the high-powered offense of Mustangs against the defense. They're coming in averaging 42.7 points per game. We already talked about Mordecai and how he's tied for the league league in 29 passing touchdowns per game. But Houston's defense, they've been dominant. And I think that's the story here. That's the matchup to keep, keep an eye on. As I mentioned earlier, Houston's defense leads the nation in third-down conversion, holding teams to – under 25% conversion rate, fourth in total defense, teams averaging around 278 total yards. And so I think that that matchup, I think, will they be able to get pressure on Mordecai? And they've been doing that with only rushing three with a plethora of players. I, if they can make SMU one-dimensional as far as defensively, I think the Houston defense can come out and prove that they've been, they are the dominant debt in that tough third world defense that they talk about. Yeah, like you mentioned, and, and like I mentioned before, this is really the first big test. Uh, certainly, that they, this is going to be the best offense that they faced all season long. And it, even when we talk specifically about Tanner Motorkai and kind of making him, making that offense one dimensional, uh, it, it's, this is going to be the first game where the corners are kind of challenging. And like we mentioned, Mordecai likes to air it out, but he's also a little bit of a threat in, 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 the, in the running game. Yep. Exactly. Yep. So he's multidimensional. Yep. Even if they can contain the rushing attack for SMU, it's going to be it's something that, honestly, it's you're always going to be on your toes. That's what the UH defense will be, and they're always going to have to be looking at literally everything because just one inch, one error is going to lead to a whole bunch of points. And like you mentioned, the offenses has had the moments where they struggle to, to keep up with, with other offenses. I mean, we just saw what happened uh, this past week against East Carolina. Now, obviously, that game was uh, just such under weird circumstances after the over five hours of, of rain delay that that You'd hate to just completely throw it out the window, but obviously there's different circumstances. Yeah, for but, sure. I mean, that's something that all season long, the UH offense has, has gone into droughts where, I mean, they'll, they'll string together a couple of good positions and then they'll string together a couple of bad positions where they just can't get anything going. So Houston's defense is going to be tasked with a, 
a big challenge of limiting this SMU offense because if they get it going, they put up points on the board, it'll be tough for UH's it's offense come to, back. Yep. To, to keep up with SMU, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And in the last six opponents, Houston defense has allowed their opponents to average around 13 points per game. And Coach Doug Belk, he said, our guys understand, this is exact quote from availability earlier this week. He said, our guys understand the challenge at hand. I think this is by far the best team that we played as a whole from, off, from the offensive line to the quarterback, two really good running backs and a staple of receivers that are all explosive. And so he's well aware of the challenge at hand. And he also had this to say about Mordecai. He talked about how Coach Early has done an outstanding job of putting the defensive line in person to make plays and how he tries to mix it up. But he says for Mordecai, you got to give him different looks. He's a big-time player with a big arm. He plays with a lot of confidence. He's a lot more elusive, as you think. Like you just said, Andy, He he's more than just a pocket passer. Coach Belk said he can run, he can extend plays, and it's important that we pressure him to not allow him to extend those plays and make those deep throws down the field. But it's more than Mordecai. I mean, Coach Belk had high praise for the running back, um, their starting running back, Bentley, he said this is the best football player overall that we played throughout this ent entire season. He said he feel like that Bentley is really special. He think he he think that he can um run the ball, catch the ball, and he's a really good explosive jump cut runner. So the tags is definitely a tough tags. I think they can do it. I expect to see a lot of Marcus Jones on defense, him and Demarion Williams being able to cover on the back end and allowing that D line to get home. I, I, I think it's, it's a, um, it's a total team unit. The linebackers, Donovan Mutant, who was the defensive player of the week, caused two fumbles, one which was a game ceiling against East Carolina. So the defense definitely has their work cut out for them. I cannot wait to see this game. It's going to be a true test to me to really how good Houston is as far as defensively. Like you said, offensively, they can't afford to fall behind. Are there, are there any keys for you? If you got one or two keys, maybe defensively before we um, end the segment and go to talk about the offense? Yeah, I think um, for sure when you, when you talk about the defense, you got to go back something that really the leaders of UHS defense from Donovan Newton to Derek Parrish or any one of them have, have – said throughout the entire season when it comes to their goal game in and game out is to win the physical battle they want to impose their will they want to control the temple especially up front when it comes to the battle in the trenches between the two lines that's that's where it starts right there like you mentioned that obviously Tanner Mordecai has put up insane absurd numbers for SMU this season against the American Athletic Conference foes and even during their non-conference games we have already mentioned again not to to repeat with, with just the 29 touchdowns that he's put together but it, like you, you you brought up the rushing attack that they're not just one-dimensional like you mentioned one you mentioned Bentley Ulysses Bentley who is one of their top backs but their leading rusher is Trey Sigurds who's had four touchdowns yep. on the season he's yep. put up 473 yards and going back to what we said their third a leading rusher is Tanner Mordecai. So like they're multidimensional and it, this is going to be a all hands on deck for the defense when it comes to linebackers, the defensive line, like you mentioned, the corners are going to get tested often. And that's something they really, especially since that Texas Tech game, this UH defense hasn't been challenged vertically, especially when you look at the schedule after that, that Texas Tech game, they had to play you know, Rice, Gramlin, Navy, Tulsa. I mean, nothing against those teams, but they're not necessarily going to be pushing. They're going to be attacking you through the air. They're much more uh, grinded out, ugly type of teams in terms of their offense. Not not to, to insult you. I'm sorry, but fans of any of those teams that I might have insulted you. But in terms of the style that they play uh, on offense, I mean, just look at Navy with their triple option offense. They're not going to be throwing the ball 50, 40 times each week, uh, weekend and week out. Rice, a similar thing. Uh, even Doug Belk himself mentioned it. Hoverson has acknowledged it himself. They're, these aren't offensive juggernauts. Now, you turn around, you kind of have to completely change the script when it comes to SMU because they're going to challenge you vertically on the ground. They're going to spread you out. And it's going to be a good challenge. Reiterate it. Now, going back to what you said in terms of keys to the game, I mean, it's going to be difficult. But you you got to figure out a way to make Tanner Mordecai and that SMU offense one-dimensional, and I, I believe it starts with taking 
limiting the run game, which at times has kind of been a struggle for UH, especially going back all the way. It feels like forever going back to the first game in the regular season against Texas Tech, where honestly, Houston did a good job for most of that game, limiting chunk plays. But when they would give up chunk plays, they would be huge type of dagger plays. I mean, even big runs that they would give Texas Tech for put them right in position to score, whether it be a touchdown or field goals. And that's something that they got to do. They got to make sure that whenever SMU's the ball, SMU moves the ball, that they have to work for it each time, make it dip as much as difficult as you possibly can and make them have to work for it. Don't give up, you know, momentum plays and that they'll have the advantage that they'll be playing at TDCU Stadium. So if they do give up a momentum play, it won't feel as big with the home crowd advantage, but still you got to limit that as much as possible. I think really that's, <laughs> that's kind of a pretty broad key, but that's, that's really what Houston has to do. They got to limit big plays and everything that SMU gets, they have to make them earn it and, and feel the pressure, control that tempo, be the more physical team. I think that's what Houston, especially particularly their defense has to do, because like you mentioned, I, I feel like this UH offense is going to struggle tremendously to have to um, limit or try to match SMU's offense if they get rolling. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think a bend but don't break approach, keep everything in front and not allow those momentum explosive plays. But I want to um, quickly before we move on, you, you said something about Sigurds in which Coach Bilk had high praise for Sigurds as well. He said they both have elevated their game, talking about Billy and Sigurds, but he said Sigurds is the bigger back of the two as far as weight goes. He's powerful, he's explosive, he can run through you or around you. Therefore, they both do a good job in protection. So he's well aware of the staple of um, players that they have. He talked about Robinson, who he coached his freshman year at West Virginia and who is now developing to a really good deep threat at SMU. But, uh, I mean, I, I think you're hitting it right on the head. I, I can't wait. But coming up in just a moment, we're going to continue about continue talking football, but we'll move to the other side of the ball and talk about Houston offense going up against the SMU defense right here on Pots Number Jamming. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU, all Houston, all original. And we're back on Pod Slamma Jamma, covering your UH athletics. Once again, be sure to follow our podcast on Twitter. And if you're listening wherever you're listening on Spotify or iTunes, be sure to follow us, hit that subscribe button. And if you're on iTunes, please leave us a review. Give us five stars, whatever you deserve not to push you in any direction. Give us five stars. Um, but of course, um, on Twitter at Apollo HOU and our personal account at Pod Slamajama, that's P-A-W-D Slamajama, like you see it in the podcast description as we jump right back into the podcast episode. Dayon, you said it up perfectly before the break where we talked a lot more about the defense and honestly SMU's offense and what challenges they possess. So now let's flip it on its head a little bit. The UH offense coming off a, uh, like you mentioned it, honestly kind of what they've been all season where they show flashes of what they can be. They show brilliance. And then the second half um, prior to overtime, a completely 180 where they can't get nothing going on the ground. They can't, set up the pass game and really a struggle to move the ball and put up points. I mean, when you look at the boss score for that game, it, it's absurd to see them put up 24 first half points and then get shut out in the second half. And you know, obviously that game went to overtime, but just that completely changed it. And really the lack of running game, they couldn't get anything going on the ground. I know that's something that Dana Hogerson himself criticized for really the entire night, just struggling. And then they get that big run at the beginning of overtime that that set up the, the win against East Carolina. But really, it was a struggle for them all night to get that type of offense momentum going. Dayana, uh, before we jump into the, this matchup, particularly against SMU, what did you see in that East Carolina game that Houston needs to get better at and improve to put up a fight against the Mustangs? 
just more chemistry, more cohesiveness on the offensive line. I mean, Cody Russell said, and um, in media availability this week, that the offensive line played bad, and that's his standards. And he's the senior captain on the offensive line, and so I think just better cohesion because in this challenge against SMU, you you need to be that you need to be balanced. So from my, from that perspective, I, I think the offensive line maybe we just came out a little dry with the long layover, whatever factor that played into them not having the game that they wanted. But I think the offensive line is the key. And also Clayton, turn, Clayton Toon, excuse me, and his turnovers, not giving SMU's offense an extra possession, right. especially in a short field to put points on the board, which in the result will put you down and put more pressure on you. And so I think the offensive line, the ability to control the line of scrimmage, run the football, but Clayton Toon can't, can't turn the ball over against this um, SMU team. And, and, and in the game last year in which SMU came out on top, Clay Toon, I mean, he, he had a decent game, had his longest pass in his career, his 96 short touchdown to Mark, Marquise Stevenson. But SMU really dominated that game. I, I, I think the running game is going to be vital. Alton McCaskill, he's been good all year. He's, what, second nationally as far as true freshman running backs with 10 touchdowns. He's really been a touchdown machine. Inside 25-yard line, I feel like he's almost automatic to get it in the end zone. Well, Houston offensively, really, let's just start with the Clay Toon because, you know, in the different levels, they talked about the quarterback matchup, whether it's in the pros and high-profile quarterbacks. I feel like the way Mordecai has played Clay Toon said, and I asked him this early this week, like, what has been the biggest learning experience for you early in this season? And I feel like he he gave me an honest response, and it was really the response that I pretty much expected. He said his biggest learning experience was being consistent in the pocket. There were times where I was fully healthy and I would escape the pocket too soon before I went through all my reads and maybe miss a guy open a few times. He said getting hurt and losing my ability, my mobility a little bit helped me out, I think. He said I was able to progress being a better pocket person and have better pocket presence. I think that has – he said that's been the biggest learning experience. I think he's going to need to continue that learning experience that he just mentioned into this game because he, he, he can't get empty in the pocket, force a player, turn it over, and then give that SMU offense uh, extra possession. I, I think that would hurt Houston tremendous. So I think the quarterback matchup is going to – Going to be key. Can't Clayton Toon either outdo Mordecai or just do an or be a game manager, not lose the game, but make enough plays for Houston to win the game? Yeah, for sure. I think the the, the key for Houston for Clayton Toon is going to be not to try to get outside of your comfort zone, not try to do too much. Don't try to match Tanner Mordecai um, necessarily. We have a team overall, and like we mentioned, he has uh, a good tailback and on McCaskill who's really I think that's going to be the key for UH's offense in this game against SMU uh, and looking over SMU's defensive statistics um, they've been dominant against teams that they should be dominant again kind of similar to Houston where we we look at the teams that they've played the the really the the, the routes for lack of a better word the blowouts the, the games that they've won by the 20 points and up against Abilene Christian against North Texas. They've held those two teams to under 12 points against uh, South Florida. They held them under 20 and against Tulane, they outscored them by 29. But then you look in the close game, the close games against Navy, against TCU. I mean, even against Louisiana Tech, they've given up uh, a big points against Louisiana Tech. They gave up 37 and against T- TCU, they gave up 34. So, this defense isn't necessarily as big of a juggernaut as their offense has been. And like you mentioned, if you can not give them free takeaways and, and kind of set up their offense in good position, they're, they're going to be a team that's not necessarily going to be a, that defensive juggernaut that just completely shuts you down. And that's why going back to the point about Alton McCaskill, I think he's going to be key in this game because Houston's going to have to find it. And it's not necessarily on just the, the halfbacks necessarily because it starts up front with the offensive line, something Dana Hogerson has been critical of the entire season that the offensive line play has been inconsistent. I mean, there's literally been points after games where Dana Hogerson <laughs> flat out says that the offensive line just 
they, they're not blocking anyone right there. Yep. They, they look lost at times. And that's that honestly, that's a big part why this offense has been as inconsistent as it has been with her. It forces Clayton to have to scramble and try to make a play that, that isn't there. And that's honestly, that's where a lot of his picks have come where he's rushed and he's trying to make something out of nothing. And it just it just isn't there. And then if you you make Houston one dimensional, you take away McCaskill, you take away Tejon Henry, you take away Mobile Car, well then they come, it becomes really hard because then they go into those chains where they're going three and out, three and out, three and out. And as good as the defense has been, we saw it in the Texas Tech game. They were able to bend and bend and bend, and then it just in the fourth quarter they couldn't. It just snapped, and the Texas Tech was able to put up points on the board and just pull away late. That's going to be key. Houston's going to have to, like you said, limit turnovers, but kind of it can make it ugly in a sense. Kind of you got to take control of, you know, kind of similar to what I said in the defense where you got to be more physical up front. You got to kind of take control of uh, just the tempo of the game. Houston's going to have to try to control the game clock, have more time of possession than SMU and kind of, I mean, not to compare them to the Kansas City Chiefs, but I guess in the American Athletic Conference standpoint, whenever you'd have to play the prime Chiefs, the best way to limit them from that offense scoring against you is just keep Tanner Mordecai off the field um, and limit the time that he gets to to put up points on the board, and that's by going those long extended drives, which Houston has shown in the past. I mean, just look at the first game against Texas Tech. The way the first drive of the season, they go on a long drive and punch it in with a touchdown, and they can get more of that, take SMU, limit the time there on the field. That's going to be the recipe for success. Now, it's much easier said than done. Like we mentioned, it really starts with the offensive line play that has been inconsistent for much of the season. Yeah, and you, you said something that stood out to me, and that's really making it a kind of a, a, a quote-unquote ugly game, not a shootout. Make it that tough physical game where SMU is having to drive the length of the field, not giving up any explosive plays. Uh, I, I think that will bode well in the best interest of Houston. But I got a question for you. How big of a factor or do, or do you even think that Houston will draw a good crowd? Because this Houston crowd, especially as far as college football, I mean, as far as supporting Q specifically, we got to be honest, they really support winning teams. When Houston is yeah. struggling or not really dominant or having any success like, like they had in what, what, 2016, 2015, the crowd yeah. really doesn't really show up. So I guess it's a two-part question. Will Houston have a crowd? It's a blackout. They were an all-black, a primetime game, night game. Will the crowd show up and be a factor? Or what you think? What do you think? Well, I think it's going to be much better than it was uh, what it turned out to be against this past Saturday against East Carolina, where literally, uh, and obviously a big part of it had to do with the rain delay, but just looking at it from an outside perspective, if you had no – you know, key that would have happened. It looked like like a school, an FCS school, to be honest, with no one in the stands. But like you mentioned, the game went late because of the rain delay. Now, certainly, like you mentioned, it's been a problem, not obviously the extreme circumstance against East Carolina with that delay, but overall, Houston has struggled. I mean, honestly, going back to the 2019 season before the pandemic, that really they capped off at about 25, 26, 27,000. And TDCU Stadium can fit up to 40,000 people. So they're really, they're, they're, there's a lot of seats that are always empty now. This is as big as it gets in terms of playing a top 25 team, playing for what could a rival. be a, exactly the I-45 rivalry, interstate rival, uh, an old Southwest Conference rival. But then also when you look at it from the perspective of the, like we mentioned at the top of the show, the winner of this game is going to be in very good position to get to that American Athletic Championship game in December. But, you know, and I, I don't know if this will go in their favor, but it, it probably will. The men's basketball team, which we'll talk a little bit uh, in the final segment, will be holding their scrimmage, uh, their red and white scrimmage on Saturday at two before the game. So, Hey, maybe they can attract really diehard fans that have really invested in the men's basketball program and have them stay for the tailgate and then go into the the big football game because, like you mentioned, it's going to be the biggest game that they've had certainly under Dana Horvitz's tenure, especially at this point in the season. Now, of course, they're also going to be competing with the World Series that'll that'll be um, starting yeah. during um, during the game now. 
the Houston SMU game is going to start uh, just a little bit before the World Series game. But honestly, you have to factor that into it. I mean, I'm, this is a big game, but you were at Dana Hogerson's press conference, which, you know, this season they, they did them again in person. Um, I mean, just base it off the media perspective. How many reporters, how many media personnel were there at that press conference? It, it wasn't a lot. It, it was like normal. It wasn't abnormal how, you know, how sometimes it is when it's a big game or things along that nature. So it, it was kind of normal. The, the normal media that you would see, that was the normal media that it was covering during the early press conference. So I think that's something to keep an eye on. And now, uh, Dan, was it five reporters? Was it over or under five reporters at that game? At the press I'm going to go under. It was an under, yeah. under five reporters. Under five yeah. So that includes you, who is representing Apollo HU, the Houston Chronicle, of course, is there. Joseph Duarte. Yeah. Uh, I believe Go Coogs was there. Go Coogs um, was there. Rob Sellers was there for, I believe, 24 yeah. 7 Sports. Yeah, exactly. For 24 7 Sports. And then. And that was it. <laughs> like, no TV stations, no. Yep buzz are around um i get it they also had the world series right, um, right in right. town and I, I believe they had their media day uh at the same time but to not even send a camera crew out there and not to not to uh rain on anyone's parade but going back to another uh alumni chris gardner of the houston round bar review he always brings it up in um our show folks folks talking sports which be sure to check that out on his youtube at the houston round ball review but he mentioned that when it comes to uh alumni in particular they're a bit of a, a fickle fan base where like you mentioned that they're, they're full-blown crazy for the men's basketball team right now that they're winning and they're mm-hmm. I mean, just coming off the heels of the final four but you know the football team like you mentioned they were kind of obviously they didn't get to college football playoff or anything like that, but they were at a point in their, in the mid 2010s where they coming off the peach bowl win, they beat FSU and they were prime. They were top six, top five nationally. And then obviously they crashed down from there, but you know, once they stopped winning, the fan base stopped going. And right. this is going to be something where Houston's going to have to turn heads. Now I do expect this to be a, certainly the best crowd all season that they've had. Not only, like you mentioned, because of the, the opponents that they've had, not to blame them, but it's hard to get excited for a grambling. Um, the Texas Tech game, I think, would have probably been a good crowd, but it wasn't at TDCU, it was at NRG Stadium. So you couldn't really get the, a grasp of it there. But, you know, when you're playing against grambling, when you're playing against some of these schools that they've played this season, it's hard to get up for. But like you mentioned, SMU certainly not only should they be a good crowd because of the location in terms of being an interstate rival, but even then, where they are ranked nationally, the implications of this game, I think this will certainly be the most uh, attended game this season. But if Houston can pull off a win, I think that's when you start building off that buzz. And there's only going to be one home game remaining after Saturday's game against SMU, and that'll be the final home game of the regular season on November 19th against Memphis. If Houston can win that game against SMU and then not have letdowns against South Florida or Temple, then I think you'll have that buzz again and you'll have uh, – I think it's still got a long way to get to where they were in the mid-2010s, but then you'll start seeing it. But a part of it, like I mentioned, for this fan base to get support, you have to put big wins on the table. Gotta win. That's, something, that's something Dana Hogerson has to do. We mentioned that after they lost Texas Tech, Dana Hogerson hasn't been able to get that signature win for UH. Here's yeah. his chance. Here's his chance. And the first thing, well, not one, the first thing, but one of the things that he said in this press conference was, man, that big home, because it was homecoming for U of H against East Carolina. He said that big crowd that we had tailgating, I hope that they all come back for the big game at SMU. And you know what this makes me think about? This is the biggest game at TDECU Stadium since Lamar Jackson came to play at TDCU. When I tell you that crowd was electric, the biggest crowd that I've seen at TDCU was a complete sellout. The even um, concourse area was completely sold out and was packed. And so I don't know if they're going to duplicate that, but I, I hope I hope at least for a good modest crowd, at least to have somewhat of a home field advantage. But we'll see. Um, that's going to conclude our 
football talk, but in just a moment, we'll continue on here on Podslam Agenda. We'll go to the hardwood, talking a little bit about the men's and the women's basketball programs. They both start the season, and in just about a week. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU. All Houston. All original. And we're back on Pod Slamma Jamma covering your UH athletics. Like Dayon said, we're going to transition over to the hardwood. Uh, like we've mentioned throughout the entire um, show, this podcast, Houston men's basketball getting closer to their regular season opener, which will be uh, November 9th, Tuesday. Um, before that, they're going to have an exhibition game November 6th against Kelvin Sampson's old school, Montana Tech. Um, both of those games at home, the season opener and the exhibition game will be at Fertitta Center and then November 9th, the, once it really begins the first game of the regular season against Hofstra, Tuesday, November 9th at Fertitta Center. So basketball season already went underway because once they start, they hit the ground running, immediately turn around for a Friday night game against Rice. Uh, they're going to hit it, the ground running because after that Rice game, it's the big one, the non-conference game that – Made a lot of noise when it was announced against Virginia, and all four of those games will be at Fertitta Center. So uh, a pretty balanced schedule between tough opponents and, and it, uh, not to discredit any of other of these teams. And certainly if we if any of the, the coaches on the staff were to hear that, they'd immediately uh, scold us for kind of uh, saying that. But uh, I, I feel like it's a good mix between you, you have uh, Hofstra to open the season and then you get a good opponent against Rice, and then you get Virginia. What say you down? I agree with that, and I actually like their schedule. I, I like the way it shakes out because the, the fan base is everything is already high coming off this Final Four run, and so you get a, a couple. Or I, I'm going to assume three quality three wins under your belt against the opponents that you mentioned, and then you go up against a primetime game on ESPN against a Virginia team who is kind of like looking at yourself in the mirror as far as their programs and the way that they play and the success that they've had of recent. Only thing is they've won a championship and um, um, UHS hasn't. But I kind of like the way – I like the way the schedule sets up. And Coach Samson went on a different podcast on an interview the other um, that I saw just on Twitter a few days ago. And one thing he talked about and surprised me a few things. He he said that Kyla Edwards is a better shooter than Marcus Sasser. Um, Marcus Sasser is an assassin from deep, and he's really a really good shooter, inconsistent at times. But just from what I see with the eye, I feel like he could have went neck and neck with Quentin Grimes as far as in in a shootout. And so that was surprising. But another thing, he he mentioned how Trayvon Mark is probably the better playmaker between the two, between the three of them, um, Edwards and Sasser. Then he talked, he raved about the senior captain, Fabian White. He's won over 20 um, plus games since he's been at UFH. He's extended his range and now knocking down threes, not only just corner threes, he could make it all from beyond the arc. And Coach Sampson said he feels like that he's going to have a, a lot of 20-plus point games. He mentioned in the last game he gets Precious Achua, who was then at Memphis, was a first-round draft pick by the Heat. Then he uh, was just traded to Toronto. How Fabian had, I believe, 18 points and 14 rebounds, and that just bows into his toughness. Then you look at how – He's developed even more. Now he's even extending the defense even further. I'm expecting Fabian to, to have a big year. And I, I think he can have a season like Devin Davis had, even a bigger year, and potentially surprise a lot of people and, and average a double-double this year. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting, like you mentioned, the comment that you know, Kyler Edwards is the the best shooter out of the 3-0, uh, the better shooter out of the 3-0 between Sasser and Tremont Mark. I think, uh, and then he goes and says that Tremont Mark is the better uh, playmaker, which is interesting because, you know, what we've heard from Media Day, what they've talked about before that, um, what they've told to reporters is, you know, how kind of Marcus Sasser's role is going to be a lot more point guard oriented, um, which is 
interesting in terms of how they've used him in the past with UH. Now, obviously, he's gotten a chance to play point guard a little bit. And even prior to last season beginning, um, you know, coming off the year that Dejan Giroux had had his junior year, there was mention of Marcus Sasser possibly playing more of the point guard position just last season. And even Sasser himself talked about how he had something, it was something he had prepared to be more of a shot uh, creator for his teammates. So it'll be interesting to see um, if you can finally see that full transition now, this season, Marcus Sasser has talked about how he's not trying to necessarily conform into a certain mold. It's something Kelvin Sampson himself, himself has said in the past where he's not going to force Marcus Sasser to be a specific type of player where he only can be one type of point guard. Um, it'll be different. He was different from Dejan Giroux, who was different from point guards of the past. So it'll be interesting if you have Kyler Edwards be more of the sniper three-point shooter, kind of the role the Marcus Sasser had last year where he didn't necessarily have to be a shot creator by himself or a playmaker. It's going to be interesting to kind of see if you can kind of delegate that role to Kyler Edwards and have Marcus Sasser take over more of that full-time point guard role and then have Tremont Mark be more of a shot creator for himself, but also playmaker in general and be able to not only set up himself for shots, but his teammates. Kind of a little bit of the Quentin Grimes role, but obviously Tremont Mark's going to do it a little bit different than Grimes did. Yeah, I, I swear. I, th- I think he's going to have Tremont Mark on ball more than Edwards. I think it's going to be the opposite of what you just said. I think he'll have Tremont Mark more on ball mm-hmm. because of him of him anointing him as the better playmaker and his scoring ability, not only to create for himself, but create for others. I think it makes sense to, I think he'll isolate him more in the half court set, allow him to kind of go one-on-one and just read the defense, break down the defense and either make a play from himself or the team. And which in transition, all three of them have the ability to, to bring the ball up and get into either the transition offense or the half court offense. It's just about, when the game slows down, the the um the momentum, just how momentum changes in college basketball, just those just different moments in the game outside of transition in which your team is struggling to get a shot and your point guard on. And last year was a lot of Dejan will break down the defense or or just make the correct play, getting Quinn an easy shot or Marcus an easy shot that I feel like Marcus will find his way. He's more of a combo, combo guard because of his ability to score, but he's initiated the offensive lot um, since he's been here. I think him being on ball even more. And then the um, Jamal Shedd, he's going to assume a bigger role. Um, I feel like – He's going to be that backup point guard, and I, I think he can. He's going to have a big year. He's going to be a lot more on his plate, and I think he will show that he's ready for it. So, yeah, I, I can't wait. This the scrimmage is on Friday, Saturday. Let me Saturday. See, Saturday. Excuse me. Yeah, Saturday, Saturday. What, what are you expecting um, from the scrimmage? Just I really just want to see how just how they look out there on the floor together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think obviously that's going to be the number one prior, not priority for us, but just in terms of what we're going to be looking at, um, really what kind of, which of the players stands out is there like, I mean, just from the three players that we mentioned before, when Tremont Mark, Sasser, or Kyler Edwards, is there kind of a player that kind of rises up in terms of whether it be scoring or playmaking, who really has more of that point guard Role, but another thing that I'd be curious about would be just the lineups um, that, that UH goes with. Um, uh, is there, I mean, who, who plays together? Do you have you know, Marcus Sasser playing with Kyler Edwards, Tremont Mark, Fabian White? And uh, if if that would be more of the starting lineup that they end up going with, who would be at the four? Would it be Reggie Chaney? Um, as he kind of moved into the starting position at the end of last season and carried it throughout the NCAA tournament run, do they go in another direction? Do they see a lot of more from their bigs who didn't necessarily play a lot last year but obviously just a year under their belt with the program J1 Roberts obviously comes to mind but even some of their transfers what does Josh Carlton look like what right. do I think I mean I, I, think, can go, I can literally go down and list every player what does Tajay Moore look like with this offense or right, defense right. I mean I, I, I believe I think Chaney is going to start at the at the five spot and I think though the centers would be interchangeable depends on the matchup um Carl Carl and um, Chaney both, I feel like, are both can start. But I feel like nah, to start this nah. – huh? Yeah, I was going to say, now that you mentioned if those two start, then we're – No, we're no not together. Right. I'm just saying I think they ah. can start in general. Not together because gotcha. I feel like Fabian's going to be the starting 
power forward that four spot and Jawan Roberts is going to back up um, Fabian and come in and give those. Uh, I think he's going to be kind of like that, their energy player coming off the bench this year. He, he's going to make a, a lot of block shots. Uh, a lot of loose balls, a lot of energy to hype up the crowd plays, a lot of dunks. And they say his jump shot has got better. I think that's even going to add more to his athletic game. But I I think that that five spot, I I expect Cheney to start early in the season and maybe um, Charlton to come on and start maybe as the season comes on, depends on the matchup because he's a bigger body. He's a, I think he's maybe a, a better rim protector. But the four spot, Fabian, he's going to hold that down. And Jerome Roberts, I feel like, well, give him some good minutes, but it's a moment. I wonder how much will um, the backup guards, because we, we don't really talk about the, the different lineups. Like you said, Ramon Walker, will, will he get any minutes? Will it be Tajay Moore, um, the grad transfer? Who Who's going to get that those, those other minutes? Because that, that's important. Your starters can't play the entire game. So it's a lot to look out for. It's an early season. Pre-rankings are out in Houston. It was ranked, I believe, 15th in um, the Associated Press polls. I think 14th in another poll. But Yeah, in the coaches poll. Uh, that coaches actually poll, came yeah. out uh, on Wednesday that, that we're recording this. Yeah, yep. So, yeah, I think, I mean, just right off the bat that we literally, we could go in so many different directions. There's so much to talk about because, especially even off the heels of the Final Four, we've mentioned this in the past, but honestly, this team is just much deeper than it was last year. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean that it's going to translate into another Final Four appearance or beyond, but it'll be certainly interesting to watch um, watch them grow as the season progresses. Like we mentioned, we rattled off the first three regular season games and the exhibition game that they're going to start the season with. Uh, we've both agreed that it's a good mix of different opponents that'll be good to get their feet waiting, start, you know, start the season off running. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're looking forward to it. We'll see what this new men's basketball team will look like. And they on that, uh, I think that's going to do it. Uh, do you, what do you want to leave us Oh, I mean, I just want to let's just touch the women's real quick before before we end. Yeah, um, I think it's a, it's a a big season for Coach Ron Huey. I mean, we know they using the hashtag unfinished business because they they want to obviously get to the tournament, and I think it's a big year for him. I feel like he's ready for the challenge. His team is ready. They have an enthusiasm not only of playing but playing with each other and playing for him and. He's trying to get his second consecutive back-to-back winning season. He's yet to have back-to-back winning seasons as the coach at Houston. And I think he's a tremendous coach. His team believes in him. And I think this is this is the year that they break through. But looking at their schedule, in which um, you you guys who always listen can join me on all the home games. Me, I'll be doing the color commentary. But looking at their schedule, they start off with Texas A&M, the – Commerce, then Howard, and this the first game that I'll be on at the Fertitta Center. Stephen F. Austin, that's a really good team who which Houston beat. This time they'll travel to Nacogdoches and take on SFA, UT Arlington, and then New Mexico. So uh, a good schedule right before they go into the Cancun Challenge and they'll compete against Arizona State, Fordham, and Baylor. So for this women's program, I think it's a lot on the line. Unfinished business, I think it's, it's the perfect theme for them to go with this season. And this conference, it's going to be good. Through me at the day, I think media day, coaches mentioned that trying to get four or five teams in, not only just the top three in which we think it would be the two Florida schools in Houston, but Houston, I'm expecting a lot from them. Can Layla Blair bounce back? and build off the success that she had in her freshman year. What will the transfers? Tiara Young coming over from LSU, and she played in the SEC. That's the the best women's college basketball conference. She played against Texas A&M, the South Carolinas, the Mississippi States. And in those games against A&M, she had her best game against the top competition. She played her best game. So I'm anxious to see what she will look like with Brittany Onyeje. Can she shoot a better percentage as a three-point shooter who's good as she is? Can she shoot 40%? She shot 28%. That's not good for someone who can shoot as good as she can. So uh, I can't wait. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think especially when you mentioned the non-conference schedule, they have similar to the men's, they have a pretty good variety and a couple of challenges. You mentioned Stephen of Austin, who they beat last year, but 
Uh, <laughs> this is something that Rocky has mentioned in the past. That it still ended up being higher in the NET rankings, in the NET rankings, the capital NET rankings, which is something they were uh, certainly confused about after they had defeated them and certainly made a point of complaining about. But yeah. it'll be tough. It'll be tough um, with the schedule that they have. But I think the non-conference will be important because uh, maybe I'm just being pessimistic, Dayon, but I, I feel like – getting more than three American athletic conference teams into the tournament. Um, and this might not necessarily even have to be with the talent in the conference, because I agree. I feel like overall, especially when you look at the top five teams in the women's basketball for the American athletic conference, you could make the argument that they, they could make a push for the NCAA tournament. But I think honestly, the American athletic conference lacks the respect from the voters that get to choose in the national the NCAA tournament at the end of the season. And that might hurt them. So I think Houston is going to have to make it count in non-conference and beat. You mentioned some of these schools. They got to go back. They got to travel up to Nacogdoches, get an impressive win against Stephen F. Austin, beat them. And then in that tournament, when they have to play Baylor, Fordham, and Arizona State again after what they did in the NIT last season, uh, in the WNIT, excuse me, it's going to be improved. It's going to be important for them to get signature wins get strong wins and then do what they did last season and that's pretty much play well in the american athletic conference during the conference games and put up a fight they shows that they can beat usf now there's only one challenge left in terms of schools that they haven't been able to beat uh for ron hugh and that's taking down central forward but obviously like we mentioned it, it's those two schools at the top and then houston everyone else in the conference trying to catch up to them so it's going to be it's going to be important off the gate for houston yeah, and Temple is one of those teams who to keep an eye on. They returned their starting five in Mia Davis, who was all conference last year on the first team. So they and each team, each coach always talked about having a tougher non-schedule to strengthen um their outlook and the way they viewed as far as the voters. So I mean that was a good point by you and something each coach said they focused on and in Houston they, they has a good they have a good schedule. They'll also play a uh, Florida State. They also yeah. travel to play Alabama who is yeah. in the SEC. And so yeah. it's a good schedule. Uh, I feel like this team, like I said, their chemistry will be big and that hunger and, and the way that they play, I feel like will wear teams down. It, it did a lot last year with the amount of turnovers they were able to create. I, I just feel like that culture is finally turning around. The women is seeing what the men are doing. They got that Jordan brand, and, and they want to have the recognition and success that the men are having. They just know they got to do it on the floor. And so I think that um, can now complete, wrap it up. For sure. And um, like you mentioned, day on the Jordan Brown with the University of Houston, uh, interesting partnership that it's been since the men's basketball team first got to do it. Now the women's and we'll see down the line what that Jordan brand um, partnership looks like for the university as a whole. But like you mentioned, that's going to do it for today's episode. So once again, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, be sure to follow Apollo HOU for blogs, merch, video, podcasts, and more original Houston sports content I find anywhere else. Also, follow me on Twitter at Dayon Dunlap. That's D-A-Y-O-N-D-U-N-L-A-P. And as always, you already know, go Cougs.